when it comes to how I see myself, like, I just tell stories and whatever format they want to come in, that's, that's how I take them. Hi, this is You Make Contribute a Verse. I'm Brenna Jenneret, Kidlet author and co-host of this podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Munkin, Kidlet author, dad, and science communicator, and podcast wizard, John Seymour, an author, illustrator, family man, and senior informatics analyst. That was our guest, Jess Hernandez, on writing picture books, anthologies, and middle grade. We talk about imposter syndrome and how it feels to be the donkey in the party hat, and the critique group, you know who you are. Or maybe you don't, because the group's name gives nothing away. Make sure to listen to the end for Jess's contribution to the Dead Manuscript Society. It's a hit. And just a quick heads up, we had some technical difficulties with this episode. The audio up front is a little muffled, but it gets better, so hang in there, because I promise it's totally worth it. Have a dead manuscript of your own? Need help revising that manuscript or your query? Or maybe you just want help with comps and agent research, or your pitch could use some love. Check out Justin Cologne's new editorial services. He offers everything from full manuscript critiques with Zoom call to assistance with comp titles and brainstorming sessions. And if you can't decide what package is right for you, no worries. All of Justin's services can be purchased a la carte style, so mix and match whatever works best for you. And if you're looking for even more guidance on your journey to publication, check out the Kidlit Hive's newest offering, From Idea to Publication, with senior editor at Charlesbridge, Karen Boss. In this six-week class, Karen will walk you through the journey of getting that shiny new idea, polishing up that manuscript, selling your story, and seeing it on the shelf. Whether you're a beginner or intermediate writer, you'll walk away with the invaluable knowledge of the publishing world, including writing, process, expectations, and surprises. Sign up today at thekidlithive.com. And now, here's Jess's verse. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe if you speak, like, right into the, <laughs> right into the computer. Like a big phone. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just trying to figure out where the, the microphone is so I can, like, talk to it. That, that's better. Like, whatever, wherever that was coming from was good. Right here? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're just speaking into the computer's butt. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Well, whatever. We'll roll with it. <laughs> All right. So, so tell us again. So, you went on sub with this book? Yeah. Um, so, I've subbed a couple picture books in the last well, basically since the pandemic started, and we were just not getting much traction with any of them. So um, I finally had my agent pull the one that we were out on sub with um, in September and swap it out for a new one. And then that's the one that sold. And um, the other ones were like more serious. This one is Uh. kind of back on brand. It's a little more silly. It's a little more fun. Um, It's my first (laughs) rhyming one, which is which is fun. Yeah, so that was fun to play with. Um, So it got picked up by a smaller press. And yeah, so it's just exciting. So Jess, it sounds like your agent um, is one that likes to put one book out on sub at a time. Um, Yeah. Well, it's sort of. So I have another um, picture book out on sub right now, but it's a nonfiction. So 
Yeah, she tries not to overlap as much as possible, especially now because it's so, there's so much editor fatigue out there. Like she really doesn't want to overwhelm her contacts and you know, make things harder for the people that are already, you know, kind of buried. So, and I respect that and I get that. So, yeah, totally. So, so she puts out like she'll put out like a nonfiction, a rhymer, and like a funny book because they won't compete with each other. Yeah, pretty much. Like, she'll try and not compete with, with, she'll try and make it so I don't compete with myself as much as possible, which, yeah, you know, smart. Is always a good plan. <laughs> right. Was, was Rena your agent for first day of unicorn school as well? Yeah. Yeah. She's been my only agent and she's been fantastic. So, yeah. I've been so really you guys lucky. Have been, been doing it for a while. Yeah, I guess we have. Huh? Uh, we signed together um, July of 2019. So, and it's, yeah, I'm trying to think of the timelines here. Yeah, yeah, right. I was gonna say. So, is Unicorn School? Is that your first book that was out? Just was that your debut? Yeah, that was my debut book. Um, came out January 1st of 2021. So how long was it out on sub before it got sold? Uh, it was out, we went out with it wide in September of 2019 and it was sold the end of November. So it was fairly quick. Oh, wow. Yeah, really quick. <clears throat> Things moved faster back in those days. <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> right. Yeah, but they, it went to production really fast. Like, I was, they were putting out um, arcs, like, by the next summer. So it was a little bit ridiculous how quickly it, it came together. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is super fast, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea how the illustrator did everything so quickly that he did. They were just waiting. They had like a portfolio of unicorn stuff. Yeah, right. Donkeys <laughs> yes. with party hats on. Right. Yeah, you know, like you do. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you had subbed originally to, Rena? Uh, yeah, that's what she signed me on. And so that's what we went with. I really didn't think it was going to sell, actually, because like the unicorn market was pretty glutted by then. So I was like, yeah, we'll just go out and sub and no one will take it. And then we'll sub something else and I'll be fine with that. So I was really surprised when it sold. Yeah, I mean, it's subversive in the sense that it doesn't have a single unicorn in it. <laughs> a lot of kids get angry about that fact. <laughs> That's really funny. This book promised me unicorns. <laughs> Whenever I do school visits, that's the first question every kid asks. Why are there no unicorns in a unicorn book? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It didn't even occur to me until Josh just said that. But I mean, yeah, he's right. Like I didn't, that never would have been on my radar. But kids are like, uncool, man. This is not okay. Yeah, I actually, after the first few times of like them grabbing pitchforks and trying to come after me, I was like, I better address this like right away. Otherwise, <laughs> they're going to get feisty. So now totally. that's part of my school presentation is like, I explain right up front, this is why I did it. There was a reason for it. No, I did not forget. <laughs> oh, like you forgot. Oh my gosh, awesome. Yeah, right. As a kid, I bet that would be their first their first thought. You must have just forgot. Like, how did you get this yeah. past an editor? 
like I always ask them, like, how do you think I just forgot to add unicorns? And like, usually half the group raises their hand. Oh like, my gosh! No, no, that's not what happened. Is that the next picture book? Like, oops, I forgot to add a unicorn. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's so funny. How do you, do you do a lot of school visits on it? I'm, I imagine you must, especially early in the school year. <laughs> um, actually, this last year, not as much as I was thinking I would. I did maybe like one or two, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of hit and miss. Like I can give them away on Twitter, like I'll, I'll raffle off a couple every now and then, especially to like really poor schools who can't afford to bring in authors like mm-hmm. I like to do that but um yeah for the most part no um not really I actually did my first in-person one a couple months ago and that was really fun but mostly they're online and um, yeah it's weird because like my kids go to the elementary school system here and they do not want me to come and I don't know why, but like I've asked a couple of times, I was like, hey, you know, I can come in. We're talking about being an author, you know, for free, even since, you know, you get my taxes anyway. Um, right. I know. I feel like we know why, though, now, Jess. You forgot the unicorns. Yeah, right. They're just it's embarrassing. very uncool. <laughs> it's totally <laughs> unforgivable. False advertising on my part, man. Right. They're like, I'm sorry, we can't have her come in. <laughs> She's on the list. <laughs> So we're learning that that first day of unicorn school is a book that's both about imposter syndrome as well as teaching kids to deal with disappointment. <laughs> disappointment Who knew? Living in the real world. Who knew the layers this book would uncover? <laughs> Actually, when I do the when I do the school visit, I also talk about like educational parity and the way that um, certain groups are excluded from schools historically. So. There, there is a little bit of a layer going on, but um, that's usually how I explain the lack of uniforms. It's like, <laughs> I did it on purpose, guys. I really did. Right. Yeah, right. I knew what I was doing, I swear. Did yeah. you pitch it as uh, as an like an imposter syndrome type of book? I, I did. I did. Because I, I tend to think yeah. one of the reasons that I like this book so much is I, I tend to think that the best picture books or among the best picture books are the ones where you can, you read them for bedtime or you read them with your kids. And then the, the grown up sits back and goes like, huh? <laughs> I mean, it's a great, it's a great one to go like, huh? I feel like a donkey with a party hat on sometimes. <laughs> and I just realized. I mean, feedback from grown ups is when they're like, Oh wow, this is a book. I needed when I was a kid because that's a message that resonates. And it's, ah, yeah, I my job. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think your book made me think back to my time in, in journalism school and college where one of the best bits of advice I've ever been getting, given is <clears throat> we all put our pants on one leg at a time, which is like a way to equalize anxiety when dealing with other people so it's a it's a really it's a nice it's a nice message to send it's a complex message to send to little little kids but Mm. but a good way to kind of ease into that no thank you did you 
did you um start writing the book with imposter syndrome in like in mind because I know I know I've heard you talk about it before and you said the book was inspired by something your kids said right and you were like oh that's a great idea so I, I just wonder like when when that layer of um imposter syndrome came um well at the time that I was writing it there was a lot of like talk on Twitter among the writing community about dealing with imposter syndrome. I remember Eric Smith was posting quite extensively about it. And so it was just something that was on my mind. And, you know, as, as a, a person who's done like quite a few things, like I was a teacher, I was a librarian. Um, I lived in a foreign country. Like those are all places where I just felt like I was totally a fake and, totally BSing my way through everything. So um, it was a sentiment that I related to, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, the whole writing community can identify with imposter syndrome. Right. I don't know any writer who doesn't, you know, feel like that. Like, you're just out there writing on your own and you're like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, I think this works. Like, who knows? (laughs) Like, who knows if if I can actually pull this off? Right. Yeah, none of us are knowing what we're doing. Even, like, I find it funny, especially, like, as I write new things and other things, like, it's always a surprise. Like, every time I start something new, I'm like, I really don't know what I'm doing. Huh, you'd think after <laughs> so many times I would know what I was doing, but I don't. <laughs> right, which is part of the fun, but it's a double-edged sword. Because then, yeah, you're like, this is really fun. Who knows what I'm doing? And it blah, blah, blah. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, right. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, how did I get here? It's like you're in a trance <laughs> and then you wake up and you're like, wait, <laughs> like, where am I? <laughs> you hope that the fugue state carries over until the piece is finished at least. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, the dream always ends for me, right? About 20,000 words. And then I'm like, what am I doing? This is terrible. I'm doing this as a picture book. It can't be this long. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. No, picture books, I, I tend to be a little more confident in the execution but novels are a whole different do you think yourself i mean i hear you talk with her i i hear you talk i see you type (laughs) about middle grade probably as often as i see you type about um picture books what do you what do you have in your back pocket or how do you see yourself Um, as a as a writer when it comes to how i see myself like i just tell stories and whatever format they want to come in that's that's how i take them um Right now, I'm in the middle of drafting uh, a middle grade historical about a a group of friends who kind of get drawn into a crop circle debacle um, in a rural town, and it's based on stuff that happened in my town when I was growing up. Ooh, interesting. Um, And I just sent my agent um, a middle grade horror about a haunted house and a little boy who moves in yes i i saw you tweeting about that jess and i was like that it sounds so good and i remember you tweeted and you were like what did you say it was something like um i love this book so much like you were so excited and proud of it and i was like i want i still want to read this book it sounds awesome i am really proud of it i i gotta say like i've worked really hard on it it started off as a picture book that we actually took out on sub, but um, all the editors were saying, um, this looks like a middle grade. Concept. Oh, interesting. So I was like, oh, well, I could try that. 
you know, yeah. So on a level, like that one was easier to draft just because like the picture book format kind of provided a really bare bones outline, but like it got way more complex as I as I went along. So stop thinking so much about like this weird house that had a strange sense of humor that was always like pulling pranks and stuff. And became more about like this little boy and his family dealing with grief and like trying to function when they're all like fairly functional. So yeah, it it turned out to be very different than the picture book, but I'm it's still something I'm really proud of. And I hope that it finds its way out into the world at some point. Yeah. Sure. I've come to appreciate horror more. I mean, you you were the one, I'll give you credit for hooking us up with Allie Malenenko, but oh, um, I was going to say, yes, she really is. We love her. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the passion that she leverages toward horror and what that can do to help people cope. I mean, Brennan and I talk at ad nauseum about the ways that we lean on humor to, uh, to, to relate to our audience. <clears throat> it's, just, it's, it's interesting thinking it's interesting i guess that that realization that the people feel the same way about horror being a, a way to sort of emotionally connect or resonate or yeah for real. yeah i really got into like writing and reading horror at, when the pandemic started because like that was the only thing that appealed to me it was like romance and horror and i was like this is a really strange matchup that i am going for but you know this is this is, I guess, where I'm going because both ensure, you know, some sort of satisfying ending. And, like, I really needed that kind of reassurance, especially early on in the pandemic. I, I just needed to know that, you know, things would work out at the end, whatever that would look like. So yeah. I, I think that's part of the reason that horror is definitely having a moment right now. Is people are looking for something that will give them that, reassurance that it's going to be okay you know it's going to get ugly and scary and terrifying but it's we'll get out of it Ellie um said that too I loved what she said on the podcast because we we talked about horror and you know how she felt about it in terms of you know why it was important for kids and then Josh and I are very much you know funny writers and she was like you know funny and horror are two sides of the same coin because you sort of, it's the same thing. You build up this tension and then you release, right? It's the same, it's the same sort of thing. It's just on the opposite end. And she's like, that's why it's so important. And it's exactly what you're saying. She, she's like, my books help to, or, you know, this is what she hopes is that her books take the kids into the darkness and then bring them out again, like, you know, safe and sound, like you can come through with me and I will guide you out and it will be okay. Um, and I feel like, I yeah, that that's so... Right. It's so, I mean, that's so important. And I just, I never heard it articulated in that way. And so actually after, after having Allie on, I, um, I had a middle grade essay that I submitted for the Haunted States of America, SCBWI, um, mm -hmm. writing anthology. It did not get picked up, but after talking to Allie, I was like, I mean, I could make this into a book. So like I, I fast drafted a full novel around the essay, which like you were saying with your picture book, 
it got real complicated real fast. It was like I had the bare bones and then I was like, oh, snap. Okay, well, there's four worlds now to, for one. There's like all these extra characters. There's like all this stuff. But I was like, yeah, this is kind of two sides of the same coin. And it was really fun to like dive into that world like two in two different ways, like horror, which I don't usually write. And then also middle grade. And I was like, this is amazing. I have so many words I can use. I could just throw some over here and put some down there. And like, nobody's going to count them and be like, I don't think so. Like, you can't have this many words. I'm like, this is great. I was throwing them around like pixie dust. So yeah. It is very freeing to not have to stay under 500 words. Yes. Kind of for a contrast though, like I, I work best with constraints and the notion I mean it is a scary story in itself the notion of having to fill up that much space with story uh is terrifying to me I mean I I I want as much as anybody to be able to diversify the stuff that I write and I've got the Mm -hmm. ideas to do it but it's it's hard 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 to sit down or to countenance sitting down and taking the time to actually structure that stuff out yeah that's why you don't structure Josh you just go for it you just start writing. <laughs> that's how I, that's how As I you're triggering it. my anxiety. <laughs> so right before the pandemic hit, I had this idea for a sci-fi fantasy anthology that focused on like parent stories. And I like, I pitched, I, I like sent it out into the Twitterverse and was like, Mike Chen, you would like this. And so like a bunch of authors got together and they actually made the thing. And um, yeah, and it was a, it was a Kickstarter and it, yeah, like, it got fully funded and all this stuff. So um that, that is awesome. Can you can you send us the link after this so we can tell people or or tell us the the name of it or what like give us give us all the details. Anthology. I feel like maybe maybe I saw this before I knew you as as Jess, but I mean say say more. It was back in twenty nineteen, is that right? Yeah. Well actually no, it was like February of 2020, back before things got really weird, like it just slid in right before the pandemic really hit. And um, yeah, so like there were tons of contributors and like a lot of them were really like famous and Nebula award winners. And I was just like, what am I doing here among these <laughs> Why people? are you submitting to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't edit it. Unicorn. Donkey with a party hat yes! again. I was totally that. And um, like, I didn't edit it. Like a, um, a bunch of other authors like got on it and all I had to do was submit to it. But like, it was 6,000 words. And I was like, I've never written 6,000 words of anything. So for um, your own project, I love that. Like your own project took on a life of its own and you were like, oh snap, did. now I have to like do this. <laughs> and it was so terrifying. Cause like I'm among all these like, really talented adult writers and i'm just like oh i write unicorn books to be clear <laughs> this was your idea that you then had it was to my to. idea yeah you don't even get like grandfathered in like you get an automatic pass. no i got i got grandfathered in they were like obviously you get to co- contribute because okay, this whole All thing right. was your idea but i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> but uh oh yeah so i worked really really hard on that and like I did I'm pretty pleased with what I ended up with um but yeah it was it was definitely a struggle that first time crossing over the 500 word mark but 
yeah, it was kind of, it was a weird thing. Like it just, what something that shouldn't have happened, but did. Yeah. Right. Like what, where was the jed, the gem or the germ of that idea? Where did that come from? What um, made you want to create an anthology? <laughs> so um, I had this story that I had played around with and it wasn't in any kind of shape, but um, it was the story of a mom of three kids um, who accidentally developed superpowers and like super strength. And so she was like trying to navigate, like, what did this mean for her? And like, how did she function? And she's breaking all this stuff. And like, I love it. And it was like trying to deal with, you know, her tantruming toddler and getting called to, to, preschool to get him out of the cubby or whatever while she's accidentally ripping the door off the minivan and stuff like that and so like (laughs) it was just like it wasn't sci-fi-ish enough to really sub to a sci-fi place and it wasn't like mainstream fiction enough to do anything with so I was like I have this weird like in-between thing that I don't know what to do with but I think it's really funny And um, Mike Chen wrote a book called Here and Now and Then, and it's about um, a man who is a time traveler, and he gets stuck, and he has a family, and then he gets taken back to his original time. And so he spends his time trying to figure out, like, how does he take care of his daughter now that he's not there? And he, I'd read an interview about him um, and how hard it was to sub this around because it was too much of a family story for sci-fi and too much of a sci-fi story for literary fiction. And I was like, you know, I bet there's a lot of those kinds of stories out there. And I think like we don't often see parents in like a sci-fi fantasy setting. That's they're never the main character. It's always like the childless single folks going off and doing battle and doing whatnot. And I was like, I would really like to see that happen. I would really like to see what that would look like. And so, you know, because I apparently have no shame. I just sent it out into the Twitterverse like, hey, Mike Chen, wouldn't this be fun? And he's like, that would be fun. Let's oh, do it. I, and I was like, what? I love that so much. <laughs> That's so, how you make things happen. I mean, I guess. I, I just can't say enough like how generous I feel like and how up for stuff the KidLit community is. Like you put stuff out and people are just like, yeah, I'm I'm on board. Let's do that. Like, it's kind yeah. of awesome. So it got me into like anthologies. So I'm actually putting one together with um, Ali Malinenko. And as you say, the Kidlet community has been super generous and it has been so like jaw dropping. The, the, the quality of people we're getting for that project. It's it's really really fun so you're doing a second anthology well actually it's a third anthology i did another <laughs> one with <Sarah. laughs> that hasn't sold yet but i i we're, we're doing that one traditionally but um yeah so i think so, part of my brain thinks i should be an anthology editor all the time which this is this is why it doesn't yeah this way it doesn't pay for brenner or i to prep for these conversations because we always uncover <laughs> these like these bits of gold that are um that are just sur- they're surprising aspects to the people that come on totally because if we had just stuck to unicorn day i mean we, 
like I mean I love that book it's great but you know it's been done like we've you know we've talked about it like people have talked about it like we know all about first day of unicorn school and it's amazing it is but like I love talking about the stuff yeah like as Josh is saying that people don't know about like three anthologies that is amazing and so the one that you're doing with Allie so is that one like done or like can people submit like should we put that out or um well the we finally got our last contributor um solidified this last week it's me and laura senf and ali melaninka that are working on it and um very cool yeah so and what kind of, of anthology those... is it it's a horror anthology um yeah it was another one of those weird brain childs i got like doing something else um and um i was like i have zero clout in the middle grade horror world i need to sign on people who know people because I don't know anyone right you need Allie Malaninko perfect yeah yeah she's she's my agent sib so I was like hey Allie I have this crazy idea for this thing do you want to do it with me and she's like yes I was like yay that's awesome I did not put together that you guys were agent subs or agent sibs not that it I mean not that that matters I mean I feel like you guys would have found each other regardless but I yeah I did not put the dots together yeah, Rena's really great about building community among her writers. So like all the 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 two other the two anthologies that I put together that were traditional were both with agent siblings, one's with Sarah Allen, one's with Allie. So Is this something I mean, is this something that you work with Rena on? I mean not the kiss to Kickstarter one necessarily. Or was yeah. that something that you had her buy in for? Oh no. Uh Rena and Rena wasn't involved in the Kickstarter thing because I I really was minimally involved in it myself like idea and I'm out and here's my story um, push the <laughs> snowball down the hill kind of thing yeah pretty much pretty much yeah. but um yeah as far as the anthologies go yeah Rena's the one that represents them um she um she looks through the proposal before we send it out and then um she makes up the sub lists and all that jazz so we get do you, to do the editing bit, but you know. Yeah. How, I mean, what at to what point do you get before you're sending it out or involving Rena? So anthology feels are almost usually, like it would be like a like a nonprofit kind of situation where it would be like a proposal. Yeah, it's some, definitely yeah. subbed on proposal because like you don't want to waste your contributors' time and have them write a full on story if it's never going to sell. So, um, what, what I like to do is like, I'll make up the proposal, which is basically the pitch, the market, um, bios of all the contributors. And then we'll, we'll go in with synopses of, from the different stories. And that's, that's usually enough to, to get it going. Um, but it's time for this week's book reviews. Josh's review for this week is a good one for back to school, but a bad one if you're hungry. Mr. S by author-illustrator Monica Arnaldo is a first day of kindergarten book with several delicious twists throughout. A class of kindergartners find themselves in the classroom alone on their first day of school with only a sandwich to accompany them. Their conclusion? The sandwich is their teacher. This feels at first like a hilarious social experiment, but with some background hijinks developed throughout clearly turns into something weirder and more delightful than either the students or we, the readers, could have imagined. From John, 
What's a better way to get kids to follow rules than let them know they'll be eaten by a monster if they don't? We're really not sure of either because the Book of Rules by Brian Gerline, illustrated by Tom Knight, does such an awesome job at making rule following fun and interactive. A dynamic picture book offering tons of laugh out loud moments and gentle approaches to mindfulness. This book's uniqueness lies in its ability to engage a wide range of audiences, making it perfect for read aloud groups. A must-have for teachers, librarians, parents, and caregivers hunting for an entertaining story to engage children and settle their energy. And my book review for this week is Little Fox and the Wild Imagination, written by Jorma Tacone and illustrated by Dan Santat. Little Fox is having a rough day until Papa Fox pulls out all the imaginative stops. This book has everything from a papa-eating shark, an ice cream meltdown, pun intended, and a couple of scurvy bad guys saying I love you. Don't forget to get your own reviews in and library requests. It's the number one way to help an author's sales. Community shoutouts. I have two of my own for this week. Being a writer is great, but some days it can be really rough. The Kidley community is great at supporting each other, and I'd like to send a special thanks to Steph Campisi for all of her encouragement and answering my many questions, and also to Jenny Turnbull, who took the time out of her day to reach out to me specifically in a time when I really needed it. You both are amazing, and I'm lucky to have you both in my writing life. Thank you so much. Help support the podcast and the Kidlet community with a shout-out of your own. Verse Show merch is designed by The Maddie Frost, and you can leave us a review. It really helps. Find all the links on Twitter or go to brennagenerette.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter and even get the podcast delivered right to your inbox. And now, back to our show. It's it's fascinating because we don't talk about anthologies. Anthologies are not a category that is considered, um, at least is on my radar as like an, you know, category that you can create and sub to and work with an agent on. Um, I mean, it, do you guys talk about the the risks around that or the fact that it's niche or, or are anthologies even, at, you know, niche in those terms i guess i'm I'm just expressing sort of like ignorance about the, the, the so they process. can be fairly niche my first um one that we went on sub with is is pretty niche um it's a it's actually a ya anthology but um so anthologies are actually gaining more traction at least in the kidlet space just because um they're good for teachers to have you know, age appropriate short stories to work with. Um, they're also good for reluctant readers because then, you know, you don't have to sit down for huge amounts of time. Um, so it's, it's a lot of that idea is just like, you know, kids are more into something that they can get in and out of quickly. Um, and I mean, anthologies have always been kind of there, like scary stories to tell in the dark is an anthology but we just don't think of it that way. So, um, yeah, I, in fact, like, I think they just announced like another two or three anthologies for, for kid led space recently. So, I mean, it is growing and it is there. It's not, it's not something parents usually pick up, but it's definitely a resource for like libraries and, and teachers. Especially with, um, kids who just, just in general, right? They have like shorter attention spans and like you're saying, right? Get in and get out. Like that makes it a lot more like feasible or like like less overwhelming, right? Because I know also in the middle grade, 
space, they're pushing like, you know, shorter word counts, smaller chapters, you know, like just sort of like to build confidence, right? Like, oh, I read a whole chapter. Like that was great, right? Like I'm getting somewhere instead of these ones that are just like super overwhelming because the the reluctant readers are not going to, they're not going to pick that up. So I have to acknowledge before we lose the thread of it, going back to first day unicorn school, um, one of the things that I wanted to make sure and ask you about was the the book fair thing. Do you remember that tweet? I don't know. I what, what I wanted to ask about is the um, like I had seen first day of unicorn school in in its pa- paperback copy at at a book fair, tweeted it out, and oh yeah, uh, it, it seems was to be a surprise right. to you. So I guess I I'm I'm <laughs> curious about the process. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about the process of like uh, of the deal making of how how books. We understand, you know, picture books are hardbacks. They go into hardback in their first printing and and a small subset to me seem to go into paperbacks and become part of the machinery of, you know, book fairs and things. And so is that, it, I mean, it was a surprise to you, but are deals made around the future of books going into book fairs or, you know, I, I guess what's your, what's your take on how that's, that well, tends to work? Honestly, it was a surprise that, it came out in paperback, um, especially as quickly as it did. I think it it came out like six months after the hardback came out. So I was not certain if that was a good thing or a bad thing because like on the one hand, they try and sell hardbacks as long as they can because they get more money off of them. But on the other hand, like as you say, it does increase accessibility and like it's more likely to show up in places like book fairs. So, but yeah, it was a complete surprise. I had no idea it was coming out. Um, my editor that that acquired um, Unicorn School actually left the business um, six months into the editing process. So um, the the woman that took over was great and she did a fantastic job, but like she was swamped because she had all this other clientele that she was not expecting to have. So I like there were some communication breakdowns that I I wasn't expecting like. Um, there's, there's a sad lack of transparency in what's going on most of the time, just because like editors don't have time for that, especially now that there's so few of them that are like actually working. So, yeah. Um, so a lot of it was just me like, oh, Hey, this is a fun surprise. Check that out. Like, like I didn't even know that unicorn school was a a paperback until I somebody mentioned it and then I went on Amazon and it was like the number one bestseller for back to school kids and I was like what (laughs) what happened here yeah Uh, what (laughs) What a surprise (laughs) very surprising so like yeah a lot of a lot of what I had to learn the first time around was like expect not to know what's going on um just revel in the uncertainty of all of it because that's all you can do unless you want to like go crazy and go bald and pull your hair out so (laughs) it's funny to me how like in the dark we are about what goes on like as much as people try to like be transparent about you know the agenting side and the editorial side and publishing in general and marketing and all the stuff I mean still as an author you've sold a book And then you still are surprised to see it pop up in certain places or to have it come out in a different format. And it's like, 
I mean, I understand that, you know, the publishing world is just swamped and everyone is overworked. So of course they don't have the manpower to like have somebody delegated to tell you these things, but like, yeah. why not? Like, where, where are these people? Like somebody please just like, let us know what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, keep us surprised. Yes. Like, why is everybody working in this like, like cloud that, you know, like nobody can penetrate. You can't get through it. You don't have any answers. Like no one knows what's going on. It's just like at yeah. every level. And like media portrayals of publishing are really, really inaccurate when it comes to that sort of thing. Like, you know, authors having lunch with their editors so simplistic. and like, oh, they sent me on a cruise to finish my book. And I'm just like, talk to an author ever. Right. Like, I don't think that happens. Like, who are yeah. you? anyway so totally. yeah like so we all go into this business thinking we know what we're getting into and it's really not even close like not even remotely what we think it's gonna be <laughs> yeah yeah I mean your your particular case though uh, it, it makes sense that there may have been some communication breakdown in, in the sense that your editor left the business they're likely, I'm, I'm presuming there likely would have been some consideration process by the sales team or by the marketing team or whatever to say, like, look, let's move this title into paperback production um, so that we can hit the back to school market or, you know, whatever, make it more accessible to your point. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting a stunning reality that you would yeah, not be aware like, of. Like I about. didn't know the editors left like that had never occurred to me until mine did. I was like, is this a thing that happens? Like, Oh, <laughs> right. Well, shoot. Yeah. Right. Like what? Midstream. <laughs> but, Cause I knew agents left occasionally. Cause I'd had friends that that had happened to. And, but like, you know, my conception of things was like, you found your editor and then you worked with them until like, one of you died basically uh which yeah. is completely not accurate <laughs> at all so um so yeah that was a real shock to discover like oh shoot like you mean we have to go through this whole thing all over again multiple right. times oh it's like climbing a mountain and then somebody right. kicks you off and it's new every single time and mm -hmm. like maybe not until death but at least until the end of the project you would think right because yes. it's like ideally <laughs> yes everybody says like you want an editor who falls in love with your project and like they just you know they can't get it out of their brains and whatever and then you hear on the flip side is like ah oh, yeah like i gotta bail you're like what like it doesn't line up with what I've been told. Like, are you serious right, right now? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that was, I, yeah, I didn't even know what to do about that. I was like, uh, now what? Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. I feel like I have a lot of those moments in writing. Like, well, now what? Yeah. Yeah. Not so much now in public, yeah. in writing, but in publishing, like a lot, like mm -hmm. there's such a steep learning curve and like, there's, as you say, so much mystery surrounding all of it. And I really appreciate authors that like go out of their way to, to tell it to you straight and be like, look, this is what actually happens behind the curtain. You, you've mentioned Rena as a, uh, an agent that builds community among her authors. In what ways does she help you guys through that 
mystery um, or that process. I think the the thing that's most helpful about it is like she sets up she she set up a chat group where we all like just hang out and chat and talk about different things and um it's since migrated off to Discord, but like it's been really good to have access to authors who are in various stages of their career. Like I get to, I get to ask people who've gotten like eight or 10 books out, like, what was this like for you? What, what happened? How did you do this? Um, and there are some things that like, I'll go directly to Rena for cause just cause I'm panicking. But um, like when they, they released my cover to Amazon two weeks before my big cover reveal, I was like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like how I, yeah. Again, like how does that happen? Like who's in charge of that? Why didn't anybody tell me like, where's the red panic button that I can just be like, hello, like I need answers. (laughs) And I'd worked so hard and like Tara Lazar put it on her blog and like, that was a really big thing. And yes. Yeah. It was a mess. So like, yeah, there's just, uh, anyway, So yeah, that I think is the biggest thing is just like being able to pick everybody else's brain and like figuring out what actually normal is for this industry is really difficult if you don't have a solid peer group that can help you through it. Totally. Yeah. And you know what, like anyone listening to, right. If you don't, like we've said time and time again, like the Kidlet community is so generous. Like if you have questions or you can't find the, that group, you don't have that group, like go on Twitter and like put it out there or whatever social media you're using at the moment, because like, I get it. If you're not on the bird anymore, like I totally get it, but like go and ask because people will come back and they'll give you answers. They will answer your questions. Like people are so like generous and just like, thoughtful and they want they genuinely like want to help and like make things clear demystify it a little Mm -hmm. for sure I'm really sad about Twitter because that was a great place to like just sit back and learn everything there was to learn about publishing as much as you could because people would share things and talk about Mm -hmm. stuff and tell you straight and that was really helpful I hope that continues at least on some level I mean, the kid-like corner seems pretty untouched by it. I mean, I personally have curated my, like, I don't follow anyone who doesn't have anything to do with writing, like, in their bio. Like, if you have any sort of, like, writerly anything in your bio, like, I will follow you. But if you don't and you're some, like, you know, weirdo creepster dude, was it you who posted recently and you were like, at least there's a way to spot the dudes on Twitter (laughs) because it's, like, first name, last name, and a bunch of numbers. And it's so true. Like, why? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, I was like, and it is it is so true. So I'm just going through and like deleting all these dudes. I'm like, what? No, like stop being creepy. Anyway, yeah, if 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 you have anything to do with writing in your bio, like I will follow you back. But if you don't, like, no. So like my, all of my writing stuff is there. Like I'm not, it's not, there's nothing else. There's no like World Cup or politics or like anything. Because, so I feel like I've gotten lucky. I'm pretty insulated and I didn't, I haven't noticed a bunch of changes. I'd rather not be supporting Dum Dum with the new takeover, but, <laughs> but yeah. I also don't want to give up all of my connections just because he's right. a Dum Dum. So that exactly. doesn't seem fair. Right. So it's, it's a hard line to walk for sure. I, I respect people who want to leave and I respect people who want to stay. And I know we all have our reasons for doing both, but yeah. 
I would I would say that we run the risk of alienated part of, part of our fan base, but uh, I think that there the Venn diagram is two separate circles between the kidlit community that listens to this podcast and like Tesla <laughs> I, and crypto. Right. I don't think there's a lot of crossover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're like they're like right up against each other. There's like a real like. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. All right. Makes right. me feel like we're doing something right. Oh, just before I forget, I was so when we were when you um restarted and came back in, we were talking and I was like, I think because I know that you've worked on stuff with Allie, and then I thought I saw that Anne and I say her last name incorrectly, but Anne Apart? Appert? Appert. Yeah. yeah. Is she also is she a critique partner of yours or just a friend yeah. or Yeah, she's a critique partner and a friend. Well Okay. Actually, they- they are a critique. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes, they. Yes, Anne, I'm sorry. She or they. Oh my gosh, they are coming on um the podcast next week. Is it next week oh, or cool. two weeks? Next week. Yeah, I'm really I excited. So. Um, but yeah, I saw their name pop up in one of your threads or talking about the middle grade or whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, that's so exciting! Like that's so that's so cool because I've seen them on and like webinars and stuff before, and it's just it's so interesting to like see that side of kidlit because they are also an illustrator and I always just mm-hmm. I really value that perspective so that must also be like really helpful for you as well because oh, I don't have any yeah. like illustrator critique partners yeah um Leah Hong and um Anne are both critique partners in my little group that I love and um they are just fabulous Anne in particular is so good at just like viciously cutting out all the art notes that she thinks are excessive or irrelevant and she's always right or they're always right but yeah it's it's very helpful Um, it's it's so hard at first you're like no and then you're like all right yeah (laughs) and it's it's a fun group because like we have um Amanda Rossenhill, who does both middle grade and um, and picture books. So, like, I get to pick her brain about things. And she's more, like, further in her career than the rest of us. And then there's James McGowan, who's an agent as well as an author. So I get to pick his brain about, like, that side of things. So it's been oh. really great. James is a critique oh, partner I feel like that's a pretty good guess. It that's really is. And I lucked into it. I just, I, I, I am so grateful for it because every, every good thing that's happened to me is because of those people. They are wonderful. So, um, wow. I don't know what, I mean, that's incredible. Like we've talked to a couple of Caitlin Sanchez's clients who. She was like, also my critique partner until recently. Oh, snap. <laughs> Cause I was going to say she, yeah, she is critique partners with actually. So, uh, Jolene Gutierrez, who was on the show as well, her episode hasn't come out yet, but they were critique partners to begin with. And Caitlin was like, Oh, I love your stuff and all the, you know, all the things and whatever. And now she's her agent. And I just, I'm like, Wow. Having an agent as a critique partner, I mean, that is like gold and not just an agent. Like they are both successful, like big name agents. Like you guys, yeah. you guys are amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's funny how it worked out. Cause I posted a, a tweet for, um, unicorn school on Pitmad, And, um, one of the members of that critique group, um, Jennifer Matarse reached out and she's like, Hey, um, 
this is kind of off the cuff, but I think you'd be a good fit for our critique group. Do you want to join? And I was like, okay, because I didn't have (laughs) one and I didn't know anybody really that wrote any picture books. So I was really flying blind and I just landed in this really fantastic space that has been such a good So it was like no, no virtue of my own at all. (laughs) I just got adopted. That is how you do it. You have them come to you. They're all like, oh yeah, (laughs) we want her. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So in this situation, you're, you got your, your little pink backpack and you're showing up for your first day of school and the real unicorns. uh, (laughs) Right. There's your unicorns. (laughs) There they are. We forgot to put you guys in. We'll get you next time. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, it started off with just, um, uh, Caitlin Sanchez, Jennifer, and James, and me. And then we just sort of added people as time went by. We Anne and Leah were both in James and my debut group. So we kind of like nabbed them for that. But it's <laughs> Yeah, it's been fun to watch it grow wow. and change. And it's it's just such a wonderful group of people. I adore them. Do you guys have a cool name? Uh-uh. <laughs> It's the first thing our critique group did. You don't need a name when you're that big, Josh. They're just, just, they don't need it. It's just the critique group. (laughs) That's what the Slack channel is called, the critique group. The, uh, it's like a friends episode. It's the yes. one with James. Oh my gosh, who came up with those titles? Are you kidding me? I remember seeing those and I'm like, really? Like the plot, you know, the plots are good. Like it was a huge successful show. Like did the writers just like phone that one in? They were like we're we're tired like could you guys just not any they didn't phone it in any more than jessica (laughs) sometimes you don't need a dynamic title you just need fair we definitely have those in spades we're really lucky that way (laughs) well okay so i know we've done like two separate recordings already already but we are we have been on for about an hour so i don't want to take any more of your time but i do want to hear your dead manuscript if you are into reading it still. Okay. I was actually reading it this morning and it's um it's okay actually. It's not terrible. I might actually try and do something with it later. I love when that happens. You go back and you're like, actually, this is pretty good. And we gotta start the segment for the audience. This is our now, I guess it will be occasional segment called the Dead Manuscript yes. Society, where our guest reads uh, a shelved manuscript with which they have no immediate plans yeah. to do anything. Okay, so to preface this, um, I live across the street from a baseball field. And on the fence of that baseball field is a sign that says, no live batting practice. And I have no idea what that means. And it has <laughs> I love where this is me. going. It has bothered me for years. And so finally, I just like made up my own reason for that sign. And that's what this story is. Awesome. And it's titled, No Life Batting Practice. <laughs> Lola loved re- baseball more than anything. Hitting grounders, catching fly balls, throwing out runners. She loved it all. But what she loved most was speeding around the bases. She wanted to play on the baseball field next door, but she wasn't allowed to use it. Art note side on outside fence reads, no live batting practice. And a voice from offstage says, hey, kid, get out of there. Can't you read the sign? Lola could. She just couldn't understand it. Why build the field if no one could play? 
She wondered about it when she sped home. She wondered about it when she ran sprints in the living room. Voice off page says, stop zooming around the house. She wondered about it while she did quick feet drills in the kitchen. Voice off stage says, Lola. When she finally slowed down, she heard something odd. She looks out the window. Okay, team, time for practice. Out came the strangest baseball team Lola had ever seen. Various monsters wearing holding baseball paraphernalia. While they got into position, Lola crept out for a closer look. Um, the art note, she wears a hoodie with devil horns, words speed demon on the back. The first player came up to bat. A bat flies up to home plate and turns into a vampire. Lola, hood up, hands him the bat. She says, here you go. The pitcher had a mean knuckleball. Pitcher's a zombie. But the batter hit a strong line drive. The shortstop let it go right through her. The shortstop is a ghost. A second baseball, a second, ba the second baseman caught a fly ball. A werewolf catches the ball in his mouth. And a runner had a killer lead off third base. Mummy has an end of, has the end of his bandage on base as he leads off. Lola acts as third base coach. But luckily, the next batter was a heavy hitter. Lola hands giantess a bat, which looks teeny in her hands. The right fielder went so deep, Lola almost couldn't see him. There's Bigfoot hiding in tall grass. But even so, the batter hit it out of the park. The runner slid into home, and the manager cackled with glee. The runner is a blob. Manager is the witch. Lola keeps score. But then disaster. The third baseman and the right fielder collided. Skeleton and Frankenstein smashed into each other. Bones and body parts flying. The third baseman had to be carried off the field. Skeleton and stretcher. With the bases loaded and the dugout empty, who is going to play third base? I can do it, cried Lola. Her hood is down. Monsters look scared. Eek, cries the witch. It's hideous, says the zombie. So gross, says Blob. I can't look, says a cyclops. Hold me, the giantess jumps into the arms of Bigfoot. Yip, 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 the werewolf runs away. What is it, says the mummy. Finally, the umpire said, we thought you were a monster. Live people aren't allowed to play here. The umpire is a scarecrow. Lola thought for a moment. My mom says I'm a speed demon. Does that count? Which says, well, team. Lola says, please, I'm dying to play. The zombie says, we could use a pinch runner for Blob. Blob says, hey, are you saying I'm slow? The giantess pats his head. You have many strengths, Blobbert. Speed isn't one of them. <laughs> the witch says, I guess that settles it. Welcome to the team. From then on, Lola played every game. She was a real hit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I love it. You took the Dead Manuscript Society challenge. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Way to bring it around. Way to bring it around. Nice Dude, thing. I love that it, I love that the impetus was just this sign that was like bothering you. I love all of that. <laughs> One second, buddy. Um, sorry. <laughs> so it's okay. I've got my own kids out the mom, school, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, totally. They were out for the day because we were doing the podcast, but they um they just got back. Um, so okay. So on that note, do you do you have anything else that we didn't cover that you want to tell people, or if we can pre-order anything? Um, I do have a chapter book series that is in the works. That um, is awesome. And why didn't we talk about that? Oh, because you didn't know. Because it hasn't been <laughs> announced yet. Oh, okay. Now we know. We'll have you back when it when it gets announced. We could talk yeah. all about it. Yeah, for sure. Yep, so. That's I exciting. love it. I'm excited about that. Congratulations on that one. It, it's funny because I like in 
I think it was 2021, I was like, I'm going to sell three books this year. And then I sold zero. And then this year I was like, I'm going to sell no books this year. And then I sold three. So (laughs) the universe is a funny, funny place. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Jess, thank you so, so much for coming on, especially with all the like technical weirdness. But yeah, we, we got through it. And thank you. This was awesome. I had so much fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening this week. Find all of our episodes and other associated links and information at linktree.com slash verse show. Or reach out to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll see you next verse. Bye.